Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not this microphone. You're talking into the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell mommy a story? One day they bite. They bite? The ants bit you one day? They tried to get off. Daddy tried to get it off? Yeah. And then what happened? That was the voice of my toddler telling me a story about an ant bite. It is her first foray into the world of storytelling, something which is innate in all of us, I believe. Just the very way she starts her story, one day, echoes that beloved first line, once upon a time. This familiar opening sentence is entwined with my first memories of stories. Once in a time, there was once, or in the case of my young daughter, one day. These two are easily recognizable in their similarity to that iconic first line. Perhaps it is the same for you. Those words immediately set the stage when one reads them, making up the fabric of what we have come to know as fairy tales. I have always loved to listen to stories, ones composed and copied, or recounting the minutiae which make up a life. If the storyteller is especially gifted, all the better. I'll wager that many of you listening feel the same. Stories awaken something inside us. But perhaps more than any other form of storytelling, it is the fairy tale which most captures the imagination and opens the heart to truth. Unfortunately, the mention of fairy tales does not come without its baggage. There are many who argue the danger of fairy tales, especially for young girls, and those also who believe they are only meant for children. But I'd like to share these quotes from C.S. Lewis to counter these arguments and assuage any fears. In his essay on three ways of writing for children, he says of fairy tales, It is accused of giving children a false impression of the world they live in. But I think no literature that children could read gives them less of a false impression. I think what profess to be realistic stories for children are far more likely to deceive them. I never expected the real world to be like the fairy tales. And he continues later in the same essay with this. Does anyone suppose that he, the child, really and prosaically longs for all the dangers and discomforts of a fairy tale, really wants dragons in contemporary England? It is not so. It would be much truer to say that fairyland arouses a longing for he knows not what. It stirs and troubles him to his lifelong enrichment with a dim sense of something beyond his reach and, far from doling or emptying the actual world, gives it a new dimension of depth. He does not despise real woods because he has read of enchanted woods. The reading makes all real woods a little enchanted. This is a special kind of longing. The boy reading the school story of the type I have in mind desires success and is unhappy once the book is over, because he can't get it. The boy reading the fairy tale desires and is happy in the very act of desiring, for his mind has not been concentrated on himself, as it often is in the more realistic story. And in his essay, Sometimes Fairy Stories May Say Best What's to Be Said, 
He quotes J.R.R. Tolkien and reminds us that fairy tales were originally intended for an adult audience. He says of fairy tales, many children don't like them and many adults do. The truth is, as he says, speaking of Tolkien, that they are now associated with children because they are out of fashion with adults, have in fact retired to the nursery as old furniture used to retire there, not because the children had begun to like it, but because their elders had ceased to like it. As J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis pointed out, many of us have discarded these lovely stories, much to our shame. My recent fascination with fairy tales begins with the same sentiments expressed by these men. For months now, years even, I've been particularly drawn to this form of story. But as I would pick up a fairy tale to read it, these arguments would run through my head. One, that these stories are outdated and old-fashioned, giving false ideas of romantic love. And two, that fairy tales were only intended for children. But in spite of these arguments mulling around in my head, which thankfully have been put to rest by C.S. Lewis and company, it is fairy tales, or books with a fairy tale quality, to which I keep returning. This past winter, during my reawakened love of fairy tales, I bought a copy of Nordic Tales published by Chronicle Books. This is a collection of folk and fairy tales from Nordic countries, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and Finland, to name a few. And isn't the same as Asbjornsson and Moe's collection of stories called Norwegian Folk Tales, which I'll mention briefly in a bit. Determined to review the whole book for the podcast, but pushed for time, and honestly finding the stories a trifle dry, I got an audio adaptation of the collection. I was surprised at how much the stories came to life with the voice of the narrators. Instead of a dry repetition of events, something which I mistakenly surmised in my hurry to finish the book, and an inability to focus, another casualty of my hurry, the stories were rich with images, characters, and beauty. Mouse princesses, talking foxes, and evil troll princesses filled my imagination with a sense of wonder. It caused me to ponder whether fairy tales are best enjoyed when read aloud. After all, they began in the oral tradition of storytelling before they were ever recorded on paper. It caused my reading list to lengthen. I went to the library and came home with a stack of fairy tale collections and picture book adaptations of myths and fairy and folk tales. I began connecting the dots of the myths and stories which cross over and overlap. I listened to a wonderful podcast episode on fairy tales, I'll share it in the show notes, which fanned the flames even more, and dipped my toes into Tolkien's on fairy stories and C.S. Lewis's essays. In short, I wholeheartedly immersed myself in the world of fairy stories. But there was one story which I kept returning to, one I first read in Nordic Tales, East of the Sun and West of the Moon. East of the Sun and West of the Moon comes from a collection of Norwegian folk tales written and collected by Peter Kristen Asbjornsson, a zoologist and forest master, and Jorgen Moe, a minister. Both men were enthusiasts of the folk and fairy tales of their region. Asbjornsson and Moe met at school when they were young teenagers. These two friends, inspired by the Grimm brothers, traveled throughout the mountains of Norway collecting folk tales of the region and compiling it into a book called Norwegian Folk Tales. Now, besides plunging me into a new fascination with the preservation and collection of regional stories, as I said earlier, I kept returning to this one particular story. To understand why, let me dig a little deeper into it. And before we begin, remember to keep in mind the quotes by C.S. Lewis. East of the sun and west of the moon is the story of a beautiful young woman from a poor family. One night, there is a knock at the door of the family's cottage, and her father opens it to a great white bear. 
The bear asks for his daughter and promises to make the man rich beyond what he can imagine. The daughter initially refuses the request, but later consents and goes with the bear. The bear brings her to a beautiful castle, which is to be her new home. At night, a prince comes to sleep on the couch in her room, but she never sees his face. In spite of the fact that she is able to have her every wish and whim granted while she is at the castle, the girl becomes homesick and soon grows lonely and asks to see her family. The bear agrees, but warns her not to speak to her mother alone, and if she does, they will both have great unhappiness brought on them. Of course, as you may expect, the girl does not listen to the bear. At her mother's prompting, she takes a candle to look at the sleeping prince that night. When she does, hot wax from the candle falls on the prince and wakes him. The prince is under a spell from his stepmother, a troll, and he has been forced to take the shape of a great white bear during the day. Only at night can he resume his human form. If the girl had waited one year without looking at the sleeping prince, the spell would have been broken and the prince would have been set free to marry her. But because of her actions, she is separated from him and dooms him to marry a troll princess instead. Before parting, he tells the girl his stepmother's castle lies east of the sun and west of the moon. Cast out from the prince's castle, and following the few directions the prince could give her of the location of his stepmother's castle, the girl goes on a perilous journey in order to be reunited with the prince and to free him from his curse. As you may have gathered from my summary, there are some fantastical elements to the story, but there is so much more for you to discover than I could include in my brief summary. In the tale, the east, west, south, and north wind are personified. Hags bear gifts to aid the girl and provide transportation and instruction for her. I've already mentioned the prince's beautiful castle and the talking bear, but I want to touch on the part trolls play in the story. There seems to be little physical distinction between the trolls and humans in it. The only difference mentioned is the troll princess's long nose. So in many ways, these trolls are different from the ones we are familiar with. In East of the Sun and West of the Moon, trolls are active enemies of humans, and Christians in particular. The prince's troll stepmother has put him under a spell, and as I've already stated, if it isn't broken, he must marry the aforementioned troll princess. And there is this very curious part of the story, too. A group of Christians were carried off and imprisoned in the room next to the prince. When the girl comes to the stepmother's castle, the trolls are set for victory, but thankfully, it is at this moment in the story, near the end, when all seems hopeless and lost for the girl and the prince, that redemption comes. Woven throughout the story are redemptive themes and mirrors of the Christian gospel. I'll touch on a few here, but I hope you discover more when you read this wonderful tale. To begin with, the girl is called by the bear prince to follow him. It is her choice to go or stay, but still she is called and set apart from her family. She is brought to a beautiful castle filled with silver and gold, and she is given a bell to ring for whatever her heart desires. One cannot help comparing this little paradise to the Garden of Eden. And just as in the garden, there is a temptation which brings about the great undoing of her world. The bear's warning to the girl not to talk to her mother alone, or you will make us both unhappy and bring misfortune over us, sounds so familiar to God's words to Adam and Eve. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in that day you will surely die. And with echoes of Eden, the girl's fall precipitates a curse. She cannot free the prince from his spell, and barred from her love, she must bear the heavy news that he will marry someone else. 
By her one defiant act, her home is lost, and she unleashes chaos into her world, its clutches extending to the one whom she loves most. Now, if left here, the story would be a tragedy. But, as is promised in Genesis, in the end, there is redemption and restoration of all that was lost. Using the gifts that were given to her along the way, after an arduous journey, the girl finds the prince. And evil is at last vanquished, and those who were held in captivity are set free. It is the very happiest of endings. Every fairy tale fulfills that desire for happy ending. Usually it is through a marriage, and it becomes a love story in our mind. Perhaps more than any other fairy tale I've read, though, I love the ending of East of the Sun and West of the Moon. I think it's one reason I was drawn back to the story so many times. Let me read you the last line. It is right after the trolls are defeated. The prince and his bride then set free all the people who had been carried off and imprisoned there. And so they took as much gold and silver with them as they could carry and moved far away from the castle, which lay east of the sun and west of the moon. The reason I love this ending so much is that it is not self-contained to the prince and his bride. It is not their happiness only which the story ends on. Just like Christ, they free those who are held captive and imprisoned. It is a powerful ending for all its simple language. And it not only satisfies that desire for a happy ending, but it also shows the beauty, goodness, and restoration that comes into the world when we are brought outside of ourselves. Read East of the Sun and West of the Moon if you like your stories filled with fantastical elements, talking bears, princes under spells, flights on the backs of the four winds, and trolls that must be outsmarted and defeated. Read it for its portrayal of the girl in the story. She fails many times, but she is brave and virtuous and perseveres until the end. Read it for its mirroring of the gospel, for the hope which it inspires, and for its beautiful, redemptive story. And if you like this story and would like to read more like it, there are two others which it is often compared to, Beauty and the Beast and The Myth of Cupid and Psyche. There are a few other similarities to other fairy tales as well. The Singing Springing Lark from the Grimm Brothers Collection and a Swedish version of East of the Sun and West of the Moon called Prince Hat Under the Ground. Well, that's all for this week. Join me in two weeks when I talk about Isaac Denison's wonderful tale, Babette's Feast. In the meantime, we can connect on Instagram at WellReadBeth and on Facebook at a WellRead Life Facebook group. And if you enjoyed the episode today, please consider leaving a review. It helps other people find the show. Until next time. Can you sing roll over? My hope say over. Roll over. There were ten in the bed and the little one said, Over. Right, move over, move over. Over. There were nine in the bed and the little one said, Oh, nine.